It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at KingCasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. That's it. We've reached the final hurdle, the final curtain, the final weekend of the elongated 2019-20 Premier League season. 37 games down and one still to play. There's still a huge amount to play for on the last day of the season. And on today's podcast, we're going to be running through all the relevant matches, which will decide who will be playing Champions League football next season and who will be playing Championship football next season. My name's Fergal Brennan and I'm joined on the show today by Adam Keyworth, Manchester City fan. Adam, how are we? I'm all right. It's a bit weird that we're going into the last day and we haven't got absolutely anything to play for. So I'm I'm a bystander this weekend. And we've also got Jay Motti, who definitely has something to play for, as Manchester United are fighting for a top four place. Jay, how are we? No, I'm not, I'm not happy. I don't like these last day deciders. I've been scarred, and we don't know. We don't need to go into why I've been scarred on the last day of the season. We all know, right? So let's just be sure, Jay. We can we can we can start your therapy we can start your Champions League therapy early if you want. Uh, so we're going to kick off with the race for t- we're going to kick off with the race for top four. Obviously, as Jay is very worried about Manchester United go to Leicester in what's essentially a Champions League playoff. Wolves uh, are aiming to disrupt Chelsea at Stamford Bridge as they push for top four. After the break, we're going to be looking at the race to avoid relegation. Aston Villa, Bournemouth, and Watford are all in action on the final day, where a win for any one of them could keep them up. But if they fail to win, they're probably going down. And then in the final part of the show, we're going to be talking about Jurgen Klopp v Frank Lampard, a very much PG-rated Ferguson against Wenger. So let's get started. Champions League, the race for top four. Jay, how are you feeling? United, an allegedly knackered Manchester United, have to go to Leicester City and get a result to make sure they're in the Champions League next season. How are you feeling? Um... As I said earlier, I'm, I'm not feeling confident at all. You, you're right, we do look knackered. We've had we've had a great run. We were, I think we were 14 points behind Leicester at one point, and now we're above them, um, which is fantastic when you look at that. Following the Burnley win at home, uh, loss at home, sorry, everyone was pretty despondent. It was like top four's gone. That's the end of that. And then we went on this this sort of massive unbeaten run. Uh, Bruno came in. Popovic came back from injury. 
Rashford came back from injury and everything looked great, but the players just looked dead on the feet. And it's not just the West Ham game. It, you know, you saw it against Chelsea. I know he, Solskjaer mixed the team up a bit, but there was a lot of side legs out there. You saw it against Southampton. The players just look leggy. It's catching up with him. And Oli's got this thing where he's sort of playing his strongest team in the league, almost his strongest team every game. So the likes of Bruno, the likes of Rashford, um, Nemanja Matic, Paul Pogba, they're playing a lot of games and it's it's catching up with him. Now, the only sort of... There's two positives I can take from this weekend. One is that Leicester's form's been pretty dreadful sort of since Christmas. They had that amazing run up until Christmas and then post-Christmas, I mean, it's almost relegation tackle. They were just that far ahead. They've got away with it a little bit. And my second one, and this is the one that gives me the most confidence, is actually Wolves could get a result at Stamford Bridge. I think they could. I think they're playing it is, it is Wolves away in it. It is at Stamford Bridge that game. Yeah. Um, and Wolves, um, I know, you know, you think, well, they're not, they, they've still got the Europa. They may be a little bit focused on that, but I don't know. I, I just think Chelsea have looked a little bit up and down as well. So those two small, those two things give me a little bit of small comfort, but I don't know. United are just, they're not looking great at a minute. And this, if this game was a few weeks ago, I'd feel a lot more confident than I do now because as you've mentioned, you, you use the right word. We just look a bit knackered. Yeah, I mean, Adam, when you look at the two teams and, and Rodgers and, and Solskjaer, they're both following this line of one more 90 minutes, lads. We're almost there. It's, it's the turn of a coin, a turn of a card, turn of a coin uh, in this one. But Leicester have got a stack of injuries to deal with. So as tired as United might be, Rodgers is basically asking his players, who are probably also fairly tired, listen, I need squad players to get me a result against Manchester United. Is it a bit of a stretch for them? Yeah, and you, you talk about United being knackered. Leicester, half of Leicester's starting eleven are out. Like no Madison, no Chilwell, no Pereira, no Soyuncu. They're they're going to struggle. And we've spoken about this before. Leicester's squad is it's threadbare. It's it's very very weak. If you look at who they've got to bring in, they're bringing in kids to play in what is for them the biggest game of the season. And we said back at the start start of the year, January time, that Leicester are only a couple of injuries away from falling apart, and they have properly fallen apart. And I think with United. The one thing that may have played in the favour in that five-game run where they looked ridiculously good, coming back where he, he didn't change his team for five games. And I was speaking to a few mates back then, just saying, this is a bit weird. Like, you've got five games within the space of, what was it, 14 days or something stupid, and there's no changes, and you end up paying for that. Like, now you saw that West Ham game, and they, they looked properly tired. Like, that was... That was a really tired one. I think Jay had said on Twitter, like, you wouldn't have got that. They, they wouldn't have been able to put in that performance if Old Trafford was full. They would have got absolutely shafted by the fans. The one thing that United do have over Leicester is Leicester hate playing United. They've, they've not beaten United since 2014, which is a really, really long stretch of games. And they've only got a couple of points off them. So Leicester don't like playing United. It's a really bad time for both teams, I think. At, at the minute and it is like like you said it almost <coughs> horribly cliche that one of the one of the teams just needs to put in a, b- a bigger shift than the other team it could be a proper slog of a game really but uh, I I think United will, will beat Leicester I just think going forward they've got more they've just got more and if that's what it's going to take in this game someone's going to have to pop up and score a goal and do something brilliant and I think United have got way more options to do that than Leicester. Leicester are relying on Vardy to get him a couple of goals, and they can't do that, not in a game like this. 
Jay, where do you think this gets decided? We've talked about this idea of tiredness and the need for uh, some fresh legs. United have got a greater ability to do that than Leicester because they've got a bigger squad and, and less injuries. But on a final day situation, what's more important? Are you relying on the experience, the, the know-how to know exactly what to do to get the job done? Or if you have got a couple of players that you can bring into the starting eleven to freshen things up and inject a bit of life, where do you think, you know, if you're Solskjaer or you're Rodgers, which card would you be playing in this one? It's slightly embarrassing that we're having to rely on this lad, but he has been a—he was the shining star against West Ham. He has been a, a complete live wire since the um, since we came back from lockdown. And when he's on it, he's just—he's almost unplayable. And that's Mason Greenwood. He just—he's—he's—he's he's phenomenal. I don't want to get, I'm sort of trying not to get too carried away because you know I'm the guy that was like Kiko McCain is going to be the next big thing. I'm the guy that was like old oh, Terry Cook. Remember that name? You'll you'll be seeing a lot of him. So, you know, let's not start me on Danny Welbeck. So you have to temper it a little bit. But, <laughs> I, I mean, look at, his, look at his record. It's unparalleled in in the academy and what he's come into the first team and done. He scored something like 40 goals in, in sort of like 30-odd games um, at a lower level for Manchester United. He's come into the first team and he just, he's put on a little bit of weight during lockdown in a good way. He's, he's muscled, he's bulked up a little bit and he's just, he's, he can finish left, he can finish with his right. And he's the one that against West Ham looked full of beans, didn't look tired, didn't look like it caught up with him. He, he'd been rested slightly. I think he didn't play in the, um, didn't start in the, I think it was one of the cup games. And he's, he's sort of, he's he's still, as you'd expect from a youngster, it hasn't quite caught up with him yet. So he may be the difference. I know he's only 18 and Manchester United shouldn't be relying on 18 year olds to get him into the Champions League. But if you look at it, he doesn't look tired. He can score goals. His goal scoring record at the top level since, you know, like I said, in the Premier League, he's been banging him in. He may be the difference because while the likes of Ma um, Martial and, and Rashford, at times, especially Rashford, he, he looked dead on his feet against West Ham. It may it may take a little moment of brilliance. You know, Keezy was mentioning there that we've got the players in, who could perhaps produce something, you know, that little moment. I think that Mason Greenwood could be that. And I think if I was someone like Johnny Evans or if I was Brendan Rodgers, he's the player that I'd be like, you know what, we need to watch this kid because you saw it against Bournemouth. He's very difficult to defend against because he's, I mean, he takes penalties sometimes with his right foot for a laugh and he's left-footed. It's That's how good he is. I know that's mad. He did it in yeah. pre-season and, and like, apparently Solskjaer told him, he was like, you know, you shouldn't be doing that messing about. But he's that good with either foot. It's almost like, you know, he, he properly can go on his right or left. He's got the pace, he's got strength, and he can shoot from distance. So, from a defensive point of view, he's a defensive nightmare. And I just hope we get the sort of the late, the, the, the Louis Van Hal Johnny Evans rather than the Sir Alex Ferguson Johnny Evans. And United fans will know what I'm on about there. Because if, if we get that, then Mason Greenwood's got every chance of getting a goal. Yeah, and he he has he had a little wobble uh, post lockdown. Obviously, he had the the Arsenal game against Bukayo Saka when he sat him down on the floor and Aubameyang scored. So he's he, despite the fact he actually managed to get a vote uh, in the FWA award, which we're not going to talk about to the end of the show. I know you lads are very excited to talk about that. Um, <laughs> and I just think, yeah, someone like Greenwood, the speed he's got, and that just dead eye ability that when the ball falls to him in the right situation, it's just bang goal. Uh, I think Leicester will be quite worried. I'm actually going for a draw in this one um, because that's going to feed into the Chelsea Wolves game. And I think we're going to see an interesting uh, comparison at the two ends of the pitch. You've got fresh Greenwood who's banging form and going to cause Leicester problems. And then at the other end of the pitch, Premier League top goal scorer, a uh, bit of an old war horse, Jamie Vardy. He wants that top, top goal scorer award. And I still think against 
their rivals and when the pressure's on time and again when Leicester need him he comes up with something so yeah I'm going for a draw and Vardy and Greenwood to, to both score I wonder what odds I could get on that uh, I might have a little look into that right uh, the other top four game is Chelsea at home to Wolves now everyone's kind of assuming home advantage Chelsea will be home and dry Wolves have got nothing to play for they can't break into the top four Europa League is already sorted Adam would you buy into that or do you think there's still a fair way to go in this one no uh I think this this weekend is set up for one team to to really steal the limelight and kind of ruin everyone else's weekend. And it's probably for me it'd be Wolves. Like they'll they'll have looked at the Chelsea Liverpool game and gone, "Yep, that's us. That's exactly what we can do to Chelsea." Um, Chelsea are the patchiest team ever. This Chelsea team, they they beat City comfortably and then they get spanked the week after. They, they can't put a run of results together. They haven't all season, so... I, I think if you're Wolves and you're looking at Traore and Johnny and Jota attacking them on the break, I, I think they could really upset Chelsea. And Chelsea as well, I know we're talking about everyone being tired and it's a bit it's a bit boring, but Chelsea as well look, look very, very tired after the United game. So, for me, Wolves, Wolves could really do United a favour. And as you said, if... If United and Leicester get a draw and Chelsea lose, it's curtains for Chelsea, isn't it? So, it, I wouldn't actually mind seeing that happen. So yeah, I, I, I'm backing Wolves. I'm backing Wolves in this one. And the other thing, they've got nothing to play for. They can finish. They can still finish as high as fifth. So they've they've still got a bit to play for, and they'll be looking as well. The the players in there, and I'll probably say the same about. Arsenal, and you, you could say it about Chelsea, but I think to a lesser extent that these Wolves players are playing for a place in the Europa League side, especially with all the rotation that's gone on during this this weird period that we've come back to. They'll they'll be playing for that place and saying, look, I I should be in this starting eleven, and I just hope they start Traore because weirdly Nuno's got this thing about they bring him off the bench at some point, but I hope he starts and. I could really see him having a go at whoever ends up playing left back for Chelsea. If it's Alonso, he'll he'll get murdered by Traore. I was going to say one of one of the things in terms of uh, lineup that's going to be a concern for Lampard. Would you say he got his team wrong at Anfield? They went in at the break two nil, sorry three nil down. He makes a load of changes. They get back into the game. Giroud, Abraham, Pulisic, they all get a goal. He's under a lot of pressure because. He's been painted as this fantastic job he's done this season, etc., etc. But they're now just one result away from all that kind of being tarnished and them dropping down into the Europa League. That pressure on a manager who's not had any experience of top flight football prior to this season, is that going to be a bit too much for him, do you think? Um, I mean, he's very similar to Solskjaer in the spec that this is almost make or break your season. I mean, I know... Obviously, um, you know, with Lampard, they've still got the uh, the FA Cup final. So he could he could not get Champions League football and still win a trophy, which, you know, an FA Cup isn't a bad return for your first season at the club, especially when they have the transfer ban. But I think now, you know, you've got all these players coming in, like, you know, they're the, the making signings already, aren't they, Chelsea? They're already splashing the cash. You want to be giving them Champions League football. And I think it would be a massive disappointment. And he'd have to, he'd, he'd probably say he failed if he didn't deliver that, especially as you, you, know, you mentioned the Liverpool game and did he get his, his tactics wrong? And I mean, the first sort of 40, 45 minutes, they were woeful. They really were. Um, and that, you know, that must be a massive concern because they were as bad as I've seen Chelsea. I mean, we bought, beat them early on at the beginning of the season, 4 0. And it was the most flattering four nil. And I'll say this as a United fan, it's the most flattering four nil I've ever seen. If that if that game had ended one all, it might have been fairer. 
because we they, we just we had four chances, we took them. They had about six and didn't take any of them. But going into this game now, you know that's got to be in the back of your mind. The fact that you were so you know I mean okay, finished five three against Liverpool. There's no shame in getting beat by two goals at Anfield, even though they've not got fans by this Liverpool team. But you're looking at it and you will be worried that you know if, if especially if Wolves get an early goal, are they going to crumble? Are, is this Chelsea see is this Chelsea team going to just capitulate? Have they got that sort of I hate to use words like this, it's just old school, but you know where I'm coming from, that sort of determination, that grit, that sort of, okay, let's not, you know, they've always had that, anti Chelsea? They've always had that sort of fighting spirit when, you know, they're difficult to beat, and if they go behind, they can always get back in it, and they've had the big personalities and the big characters. But I just I just feel with Chelsea at the minute, I think they're very reliant on Giroud. I think that he's like almost their saviour. Sammy Abrams seems to have gone <laughs> off the boil a lot. And the, the the good players they've got, the likes of Mason Mount, Pulisic, who obviously came off the bench and, and did, did the business, I think, uh, at Anfield. Um, and even to a lesser extent, William, they're very inconsistent. And that's your worries. They're not, they're having, you know, if you look at them over the season, none of those players <clears> I mentioned <throat> have been in with a shout for like, I know we don't want to go on about it, but player of the year. Yeah, on the day they should have been, but they've just had that inconsistency that's undermined them. And I think that's why they're sort of scrapping for fourth rather than mounting a title challenge because they've got top quality players. They just can't get a tune out of them week in, week out. So Manchester United, 63 points, goal difference of plus 28. Chelsea, 63 points as well, but a goal difference of plus 13. And Leicester, 62 points, goal difference of plus 28. Adam, with that in mind, how do we see this playing out? I, I genuinely think Chelsea will drop out. I, I genuinely think that's how it could go. Um, but I'd back United to beat Leicester. So I think it's going to... I think it'll finish as it is. I think it'll be United in third, Chelsea in fourth. Even though I have got a really sneaky suspicion Wolves will beat Chelsea, but I don't think it'll matter because I think United will do a job on Leicester. If United if United beat Leicester, though, yeah. Leicester are out. Yeah. It's Leicester are fifth, aren't you, in a minute? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, yeah, right, and Chelsea yeah. could lose. Chelsea can lose and still finish fourth. Still go, yeah. So Leicester, no matter what, need they need a, a they need a win or a draw. They need a, a draw and and Chelsea to 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 yeah. lose. Yeah, I, I can't see Leicester beating United. That that I think be the issue. I I can see a draw there, but that I can't see a world where Vardy manages to to score enough goals in that game. So I, I think it's uh, unfortunately for Leicester. I think it's curtains for them. Crazy. It's crazy to think that isn't it, if, you, if it comes true after the, the, the where they were at, at Christmas. And it, I mean, the other thing, it, I think you've made a really good point, Jay, that we spoke a lot around Christmas time and afterwards that there was no pressure on Lampard this season. He's had a free hit. Um, and he's, he's obviously, he's done very, very well to get them in the fourth with a transfer ban. But like you say, he's, they've almost put pressure on themselves by bringing in these massive players. They're coming in next season. If they don't come into Champions League football, it's a letdown. So they they need it. But yeah, there, there's my cards on the table, Fergal. I'm going United third, Chelsea fourth. Jay, do you agree with that? Even though I'm not confident in United, <laughs> I, do, I do think that it, it sort of favours us this weekend because of the way it's looking. Because I think I think Wolves are capable of getting a result at Stamford Bridge. And because, as Keyes mentioned, Leicester's record against us isn't great. And their form has sailed off. And all those injuries... I mean, you, you, you're talking about four of their best players um, who, who are out. You know, it's it, even the even the pessimist in me thinks that we should be able to get over the over the line, even if it is by relying on Wolves. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think you might have a point, Fergal. You you sort of convinced me a little bit with the the argument that it might just be a draw um, at the King Power, and then I think I think Wolves could do a job on Chelsea. I really do. I just think I think you I think you you both nailed it with Traore. I think he can cause them all sorts of problems. So I, I'll go for a Wolves win and a draw at the King Power, and um, and yeah, I think Chelsea could crash out of the, of the party. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I'm I'm still holding a candle out for Leicester. I think it would be unfair on them to drop out considering how good they were at the start of the season. I think if the season had carried on as it was meant to, I think they would have been home and dry and, and third place would have been secured. But as we all know, we're living in incredibly strange times. Do, do you know what it could be? It could be like, I remember at Black, uh, Ewood Park a few, many years ago, Keyes will remember this, in 2011, where I think United and Blackburn both like had the points they needed for United to win the league and Blackburn to stay up. And they just played out like a training ground <coughs> game for the last 10 minutes. And I think you could have that the King Power if word gets through that Wolves are two 0 up, and it's nil nil or one all or whatever. You just watch the worst game of football you've seen since Austria, Austria versus West Germany or whatever it was in 1982. Okay, fair enough. Right, so we're all. Well, I think we're all agreed that Man United are going to qualify for next season's Champions League. There's still a bit of disagreement on Chelsea or Leicester or who will be joining them. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break, and after the break, we're going to be talking about three teams who are definitely not going to be playing in the Champions League next season. They are more than likely going to be playing in the Championship. We're going to be looking at the race to avoid the drop. Join us again in a few minutes. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. Before the break, we were talking about the race for top four. Now we're going to be talking about the race to avoid dropping down into the championship. Huge amounts of pressure ahead of the final day of the Premier League season as three teams are in the running to be relegated. Bournemouth, Aston Villa and Watford. It's been a dramatic couple of weeks for all three. Watford have decided to sack their manager in the middle of all this. Aston Villa have decided to put through their best run of form. And Bournemouth, well, Bournemouth have been... Bournemouth and that's why they're probably the favourites to go down. Adam, I'm going to go to you first on this. Three games that are ultimately going to decide the fate of these clubs and where they'll be playing their football next season. Watford going to Arsenal who are not going to qualify for the Europa League. Their only really focus is the FA Cup final but Watford need a result. If they don't get a positive result at the Emirates they're going to go down. How do you see this one going? Um, Having watched City, Watford I, I can't see there being any hope for Watford. I thought we were they were resi- they were resilient up until a point, and then it just they totally crumbled. And they are pr- they're a pretty poor side, um, and I, I don't say that lightly. And I've I've picked fights with Watford fans before by accident on this podcast, but and I, I'll say the same thing again. But what I don't mean this at, at, uh, at the fans, but what do Watford as a club expect? Like they've they've sat they've had four managers this season. And they've just they've sacked a manager with two games left. I I can't I can't get my head around what what they were thinking would be the positive out of that. Oh, we'll sack the manager. We won't tell the players. Oh, by the way, you've got two games left, and you need a positive result against Arsenal to stay up. It's it's an absolute shambles of a club, and I can't I can't see how they beat Arsenal. And Arsenal I'd put into the same sort of bracket as the Wolves team. It's it's not about them having nothing to play for. They've they've certainly got some pride to play for because they've had a very poor season. Arsenal, they're, they're going to finish lower in the table than they have for God knows how many years. So they've got cup final places up for grabs. They've got all that 
cliched stuff that comes with it. They're going to want to finish eighth. They could finish as high as eighth now. And they, they actually have to, I'd say. They have to get three points here. just Because if, if Arsenal finish 10th, that is an awful season. Um, and Watford, like I say, against City, they, they're just not very good. They're not very good. And then you look at Villa, and Villa have put together three amazing results on, on the bounce. They beat Arsenal somehow. They beat Palace, and they got a point at Everton. So they're... They've come good at the right time. And do you know what? I, I want them to stay up. Um, Bournemouth are shocking. Um, Watford, like I say, I, I don't I don't want to say that they deserve to go down, but the club's a shambles. Villa have put so much money into this team. And there's some really good players there. They, they've got a really good team, but they just haven't, like Jay said before, like with Chelsea, they just haven't got a tune out of many of them for, for most of the season. They lost McGinn. McGinn's back in and I really like Grealish so I want them to stay up um, I think Villa could stay up and I think the bottom three as it is will probably go down um, I, I don't know if either of you two can, can see a way that Watford beat Arsenal tomorrow but I, I, I don't know which world they're, they're going to beat in Jay, the likelihood is that Watford's trump card is going to be Troy Deeney, that he's pulled them out of the fire before. As Adam says, the City performance, dreadful. Hayden Mullins has been dropped in the deep end to try and scrap something out of these last two games. And it's not his fault, the situation the club finds himself in. But system-wise and performance-wise, all all signs point to them losing this game and, and dropping down more than likely into the championship. Given the fact they've got someone like Deeney, do you think he can produce a bit of a moment to, to get them a result? Or do you think all the mess of the manager situation means that it's an inevitable that they drop down? Yeah, I think he might just end up catching up with him. I like Troy Deeney. I do. I think he's a great example to people. He's so honest, um, you know, and he's he's one of those players that he's probably not the most talented player in the Premier League, and he'll admit that himself. But you'll get few, there's fewer players who give more um, and are sort of, you know, always up for it. And, and, and have that honesty and that sort of shining example to a lot of younger players as well. He's a, he's a great character. And I, I'm, I'll be saddened if they go down. Because of that, I think you need players like him in the Premier League. They've got some good players. Um, Ishmael Saar, I think, is very good. But I, I just don't see him getting a result at, at, at Arsenal. And, I mean, usually when you ask me this question, you've asked me it a few times during the course of the season, and I've always gone, the bottom three as it is, I see that. I think that, that'll be the bottom three by the end of the season. Um, and and then something happens during that weekend that changes the bottom three and I look a bit silly. But I, I just don't know. I think Bournemouth can get themselves out of this. And I'm, I'm not a great Bournemouth fan. I, I just think they're a little bit overrated. I think Eddie Howe's a little bit overrated. But I just think, I don't know, with Everton, I think they could go down and get a result. I really do. And I just think the other teams won't. So I think for that reason, because West Ham have sort of been playing quite well recently. I think Villa might struggle there. Arsenal... I mean, you know, you, you, to use your analogy earlier, you know, you flip a card or whatever to see what Arsenal team you're going to get turn up. They could be brilliant or they could be terrible. Um, but I think they might turn up for that one. Everton, though, yeah, I just I just think Bournemouth might get a result and I think that they could leapfrog um, the, the other teams. It's so tight in it. The goal difference is almost identical and I think it's three points in it. But I think if Villa lose and, and Bournemouth win, if my maths is right, then they, they and Watford um, lose as well, obviously. <coughs> Then Bournemouth can can leapfrog them, and I won't be surprised if that happens. But out of the teams that are in the bottom sort of mix, I like Villa. I think that you know I like watching Jack Grealish. I'm with Keezy on that one. He's he's a great player. But 
you know, I, I would like just for Troy Deeney, I don't want to make this a Troy Deeney show, but I, just for Troy Deeney, I'd like to see Watford stay up. But I don't think they will, and I think that's their own fault. For, you know, whatever Nigel Pearson did, they should have just sacked him at the end of the season rather than with two games to go. Well, let's talk about Bournemouth, Adam. They've kind of been forgotten about uh, relegation and the assumption is that they're already done and dusted. But as Jay said, they're going to need a little bit of a hand from, from West Ham and from Arsenal to make sure they're still in it against Everton. Would you possibly see a route out of them for this? Do you think almost the pressure not being on them because people are not looking at them, they're looking at Villa and they're looking at Watford, particularly because of the mess that's happening at Vicarage Road, that might play into Eddie Howe's hands. And let's not forget, if there's a manager and a set of players that have experience of battling against the drop in the Premier League, it's this manager, Eddie Howe, and this group of players. Yeah, and I think Jay makes a good point. Everton's probably, they've probably got the most favourable fixture, uh, Bournemouth going to Everton, an Everton side who are just playing for pride at this point. They can't they can't go up any places. They can go down one place, but they're 11th. They're kind of stuck there. And they have they don't score many goals, Everton, at the minute. Uh, and Bournemouth can score goals. They just concede a lot. Um, Bournemouth's issue is they're very, very leaky. Conceded 64 goals this season. And Niall always brings up the point of... Um, how many goals they've they've conceded some like the most goals in any division over the last few seasons, uh, so they're very leaky. But they they can score goals and they look good when they came to City the other week. Uh, I think it finished two one. Can't remember. Um, but on another day, if they'd have taken the chances, Bournemouth could have won that game and they wouldn't even be in this this scrap that they're in. I just wonder though if this season might be one too many for them. They they haven't invested much good <coughs> into the squad. They buy the odd twenty million pound player like Solanke and the rest of them and I just wonder if this is this is it for them and the kind of the sad thing for Bournemouth in my opinion and it's probably wrong is if they go down I think they'll really struggle to come back I think they'll lose a lot of the team and they're not the biggest club they've got the smallest ground in the Premier League they've they're not a real big club and I, I just think if they go down it could be a real nightmare for them uh but yeah, I think, like you say, almost with nobody watching them and everyone's looking at Villa and Watford going, oh, they they just need a, a result each and then they'll stay up. But like Jay says, if, if Bournemouth win, you could very much see the other two not getting anything. It, it could be interesting and I, I'm just glad, as a, a neutral, and I hate saying that, um, that we're going into the last day and there's all this up for grabs because this season has been pretty dull at the top up until now. Um, the Premier League was won at Christmas, basically, and Norwich were down at Christmas as well. So the rest of it's been been quite interesting for a change. So, but if I'm if I was a, a betting man, and do you know what? In all honesty, I quite I don't mind that bottom three going down. I'd quite like Villa to stay up. <laughs> I get Jay on the I get Jay on the Deeney thing with Watford, but Watford have been pretty poor again this season, and Arsenal have got. I've just remembered the Cajones thing. With Deeney and Arsenal, Arsenal have got oh, a, God, yeah. a debt to settle with Watford after <laughs> Deeney's comments. So that could be quite a feisty game because they famously don't get on, do they? So no. yeah, you can see Bournemouth winning it. the The way this season's gone, I wouldn't be surprised if Bournemouth get something at Everton and then Villa also get something against West Ham, and Bournemouth would still go down, which would be very cruel, but. As you say, I think that will play a role, and Deeney and Bayern have had that spat before, and 
you know, Jay, I know you love pointless rivalries or rivalries named after motorways. Watford and Arsenal has got very much that feel about it. I remember when that happened with, with Bayerin. I, I do like Bayerin and, and Deeney and Arsenal fans uh, criticising Deeney on Twitter. And a, a mate of mine asked me a question. Would Deeney chin everybody in the Arsenal team? And I think he would. I really I, I really do. <laughs> we were talking about this after it happened. I honestly think Deeney would chin everybody in the, in the Arsenal team. Would you agree with that? Yeah, apart from Kolasinac, Kolasinac would... That would be an unbelievable fight. Oh, Kolasinac and Dini. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kolasinac chased off some blokes with knives. Oh, yeah. He's a madman. Yeah. That's, that, that that's the, fight that'd like be like the, the proper scrap, that. Yeah, you wouldn't get in the middle of them two. I do think that that situation was tempered by the fact the other person involved was Meza Ozil. That's like being out for a pint with Charlie Brown and it kicking off and you being like, easy, you know, let's just let's just all calm down. Right, anyway, enough of, enough of you know, uh, muggins and street fights. Um Aston Villa, we've only touched on them briefly in this relegation battle. They're the team in form. They have shocked us a little bit with the results they've got. Brilliant against Arsenal to get a win. I think they're actually unlucky to draw at Everton. I think they probably should have won that game. They're peaking at just the right time. Everything's so, so, so tight. So, Jay, for them to be in this kind of form, Trezeguet has gotten some really key goals in the last couple of weeks. They've got to be favourites. Or do you think West Ham will maybe look to you know, stick a, stick a leg out and trip them up? Well, I think the problem that um, Villa have got is that West Ham have finally got their act together. Um, you know, and I, I'm with you. I, I, you know, I saw Villa against Arsenal and they looked really good. Um, Trezeguet obviously got his goal. Clearly, just causing problems. They just they looked up for it. It looked like a unit together. They were working together. Mings was quite um, dominant at the back. Um, so, you know, you take a lot of solace from that. You think, okay, yeah, going into this last day, we, we can do this. I think, though, the problem is, and I speak, I don't want to make it all about United, but, I, you know, I did just watch United versus West Ham, and West Ham were very good. You know, they were. And I was annoyingly surprised at how uh, good a David Moyes team has become. So I think that's the problem that, that, that Villa face, is the fact that, yes, they're playing well and they've had a great result and, they, they, you know, they've, they've got obviously got players who, who can who are Premier League level players, Premier League standard players who can cause teams problems. But, you know, they're facing a West Ham team who will will be sort of buoyed by some of the re- recent results. You know, Antonio, is, is, I think he's doubled his goal tally for the season in the last sort of two weeks or whatever it is. He's, I know he obviously scored four against Norwich, but he's, you know, he's, he's suddenly got a load of goals. Um, as I said earlier, the the playing well, the, 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 you know, we really, United really struggled against him. So I just think that could scupper um, Villa's chances of getting anything from that game I just think that whilst Villa are, are playing well so are West Ham and I, I just I don't know I just think Villa might struggle I, I really do I think they're, they're unfortunate because I think if it was if any of those teams that we've mentioned Bournemouth Watford or I think if, if Aston Villa were going to Goodison I'd fancy them for that I would for the reasons yeah. that Keyes mentioned I know West Ham haven't you know a sort of home drive but I, I think West Ham are in a bit of form and they'll, they'll be up for it as the last day and all that but I think that Villa could have gone to Goodison and got a result. I just don't think they can go to to um, the whatever it's called, the London Stadium, is it the Olympic Stadium? I always get confused. Um, and and get that result. You know, it's not some park anymore, is it? I know that much. Um, so I just I don't know. I just think they might struggle. I mean, they've got players though. They've got that. You've always got a fighting chance, a puncher's chance when you've got the likes of Trezeguet, when you've got the likes of obviously Grealish as well. He's always capable. Of, of winning you a game and he's been very unlucky you know you talk about stats with, with Grealish and you should ignore his stats and that might sound crazy but the amount of times he's putting chances on a plate for players and they just ain't finishing them is ridiculous 
So, you know, as people say, no, well, Grealish hasn't been as effective this season or towards the end of the season. That's not his fault. I've seen Villa a few times and he's been turning up. He's just, he hasn't got the players around him that his talents perhaps deserve. So, yeah, if Grealish can produce a bit of magic, they've got a chance. But I just, I don't know, I just, I just think West Ham will do it. Okay, right. We're going to look at the numbers. Uh, I'm going to have my Rachel Riley moment. Uh, anyone outside of the UK listening to this, Rachel Riley is uh, Matt's wizard on Countdown. Uh, if you don't watch Countdown, just just I don't know. Think of your Matt's teacher if they're any good. Uh, all three teams are away from home on the last day. Aston Villa, 34 points minus 26 goals. Watford, 34 points, minus 27 goals. And Bournemouth, 31 points, and also minus 27 goals. With the numbers in front of you, Adam, we'll go to you first on this. How's it going to play out? I really don't know. Uh, Jay's kind of swayed me with the Bournemouth at Everton shout. Uh, I wonder if Villa have peaked too late. Like, if they'd have have played this way a week earlier, they wouldn't even be in this position. And I don't know, there's almost some romance in it. It's Grealish's last game for the club, almost certainly, whatever happens. And I wonder if he can do it one more time for them. So, I don't know, I'll go with my my heart instead of my brain here, and I'm going to say the bottom three goes down as it is. Bournemouth go down, Watford go down. Somehow Villa get something at West Ham. Jay, obviously you're a fully paid-up member of the Eddie Howe fan club. We all know that very well. Uh, do you think your hero is going to pull off one more trick and stay up? You know, yeah. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> you know my thoughts on Eddie Howe. Um, unfortunately, I think he will, and then I'll have to listen to all these headlines about how he's a, a, a genius and a, a you know a managerial messiah. Um, but yeah, I just think because of the way the fixtures have fallen, Bournemouth have really got themselves in with the fighting chance I mean that, that the result they got against Leicester was massive um, a few weeks ago not just because of the win but because of the goal difference as well because it's so tight down there um, and as I said earlier I just you know as Keezy said you know if Everton lose they end up they can end up in 12th if they win they can end up in 11th you know what do you do he really cares about that and Everton have this knack I've seen them at the end of the season a few times now where they just can't be bothered uh, you know, it's a sort of thing that, that and Everton end of season isn't great. And I know a few Evertonians who will probably agree with me on that who mentioned it. So yeah, I can just see um, Bournemouth doing the, the the final day miracle. And and you know, unfortunately, I would I I get where Keith's coming from. I quite like Villa. <coughs> I do like Watford, but I can see them two joining Norwich in the bottom three and going down. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to stick with uh, with Adam and I'm going to say that Villa will just have enough. Uh, Bournemouth and Watford for me, it's just a mess. Watford are a mess on a club level and I think Bournemouth are a mess on the pitch. They just can't seem to, to knit it all together. So I, I'm going to go a bit more boring, a bit more solid and say that it's going to stay as it is and they'll be the three teams down in the Championship next season. We're going to take another quick break and when we come back, we're going to be talking about the latest managerial feud in the Premier League, Frank Lampard versus Jurgen Klopp and the lads are incredibly excited to talk about the FWA award I'm not really sure who won it so I'm going to be double checking with the two lads as to who was named Football Writers Player of the Year for 2019-20 I'm looking forward to it already see you in a minute Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Sports Social 
Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League podcast. Don't forget, if you want to keep up to date with the latest news on your team, simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social and pick your team. You can also keep up to date on what we're talking about on the podcast here. Just hit subscribe on this episode and you'll get a brand new one every single day. Now, before the break, we covered the race to avoid relegation. We've already looked at the race for top four. And to be honest, every other game in the Premier League this weekend is just kind of floating along to its conclusion. So we're going to talk about something else in the last part of the show and that's a new managerial rivalry that's potentially on the horizon. Frank Lampard and Jurgen Klopp now a bit of a tangle on the touchline during Liverpool's 5-3 win against Chelsea in midweek. Lampard was very very annoyed with what he claimed Klopp was doing which was trying to influence the referee stepping out of his technical area and generally just causing a lot of problems. He had a bit of a row with the Liverpool bench and then at the end of the game he accused him of being arrogant. This has opened up a little bit of a war of words. Klopp's come back and kind of said it was a heated situation, but you know Lampard needs to show respect. Lampard's come back and said, I'm sorry, but not sorry. This is potentially opening up to being a bit of a beef that could carry over into next season. Adam, you know, we've had history of, of managers, particularly at the top of the table, not getting on. Wenger and Ferguson's obviously the biggest example. Mourinho falls out with everybody. Uh, I'd need a long list to tell you all the managers he's had a row with. Do, do you see this potentially being a bit of an issue or do you think it's a, a storm in a teacup? I, I like anything like this. I think there's... I hate these little <coughs> veiled apologies at the end of it. Just like... There's obviously going to be rivalries and I think that's what develops proper good games as well. Like you said, you... Uh, Wenger, Ferguson was a good one. I always thought Ferguson Mancini was a little bit spicy as well. I like anything like that. Um, I don't see it being too much of an issue. There seems to be at the minute, a lot of the managers are a bit tired and there's a lot of (coughs) missteps and strange quotes flying around at each other. Just look at Guardiola over the last few weeks. His head's totally fallen off. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Lampard had a bit of a point and What's he meant to do? Just be dead polite and say nothing. And then Klopp saying he deserves, he should be shown respect. Why? Stop being a tool then on the touchline. And he was, it all started, didn't it, over the the Mane incident? Yeah. And the dive and whatever. And yeah, of course he's going to be angry about that. And then I think, didn't he say something like, you've only won one and you're getting all arrogant or whatever? Yeah. Giving it the big You're giving it the big Giving it the big You've only won one. Yeah, great. Like, it, it should be like that. I hate when it's all nicey-nicey. It's a bit boring. And Chelsea and Liverpool have all, always had a bit of a, a to-do Anytime It doesn't really matter who the managers are. They don't get on to these clubs and there's fan bases. So it's absolutely fine. Yeah, I, again, storming a teacup is probably right in this regard. I can't... I don't see Lampard. Lampard always, to me, whenever he's talking uh, to the press or whatever... It's almost like he's trying not to smile and he's trying to be too serious about everything. He's just, obviously, he's, yeah, he's, he's soft, Lampard, for me. I think when you look at the situation and the kind of language and the hold me back, hold me back sort of attitude of the two managers and particularly Lampard, you are right. He's done a good job with Chelsea this season, but he does look like a fella that as soon as the media leaves the press conference, he's got a book you know, coaching 101, how to look dead serious in press conferences, how to, you know, convey a certain message. And I think it's all very tame, Jay. You know, we're we're talking about a situation where we've had actual managers screaming and shouting at each other in the past. This this doesn't really seem to be anything. And and even the kind of the language used, Lampard saying, when people jump up and down on the bench, that doesn't show respect. Then Klopp saying, you know, show me respect. It it doesn't seem to be anything. You think of like fantastic one-liners from players and managers over the years. My my favourite I always go back to was Roy 
Roy Keane and Ian Wright when they were having a bit of a, a bit of needle in a game and Keane just turned around to him and said, listen, Wrighty, you've got a, a cabinet full of losers' medals, leave me alone. And, you know, I'd like something like that in this. This, this all seems very playground, you know. Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool manager... It's okay to be a bit arrogant and say, we're the best team in the country, deal with it. And Lampard's able to say, I think you're being a bit out of order. Do you think, you know, we're coming a bit too sensitive towards these type of things? Well, I mean, I disagree with you both a little bit. I think Lampard's always had that in him. I do. I mean, my my experience is different. I remember him kicking off quite a lot as a player. He always used to get involved. I remember when he rang Talk Sport when they said something about him and he rang them up and was like, you're out of order, you're wrong, you know. Uh, um, this is, you know, you shouldn't be running these stories and all that sort of stuff. And he was very angry down the phone, but quite controlled. And I think he was genuinely angry the other night. And I think, you know, like Keezy said, he's every right to be. And this, this sort of all, this reverence for Klopp, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a United fan, but it, it does me head in. And it's like, oh, you know, you should show him respect because, well, no, people used to go up Fergie all the time, even after he'd won 13 titles, and rightly so. You, your rivals, you, you're trying to beat them. And if, the, if they're acting up and Fergie did it better than anyone, he used to go be in the refs here or the fourth officials here, kicking off on the touchline. And the likes of, you know, Keezy mentioned Mancini, Wenger, Benitez wouldn't have it. And, they, they, you know, Mourinho, there'd always be that back and forth. And rightly so, and you'd expect that. And this whole thing, oh, well, it's Jurgen Klopp and he's won the title and we should all sort of bow down to him. It's a nonsense. And I think, you know, Lampard is, you know, it wasn't that long ago he was playing and he always had a bit of that in him. So he's obviously carried that on into in, into his managerial game. And let's not forget as well, I think the big thing here with Lampard is, as we've all mentioned, He's under pressure. You can, you know, he could have done with the result the other night. He needed that draw. If he'd have got a draw, he'd have been home and dry in the Champions League. He could go into the cup final and it, looking at a fantastic season. And now, as we've all mentioned, the wheels could come off here and he could not have Champions League football. And no matter how much of a Chelsea legend he is, that club is absolutely crackers when it comes to sacking managers and he could be under pressure next season. So I think the pressure, I think the way he is, and I think the fact that he's not buying into the, you know, I love Jurgen fan club. I think it all came to a head, and I'm, I'm glad to see it. We need a bit more of that. People forget Klopp's got that nasty streak in him. All you see is Klopp doing oh, this yeah. smiley thing, and he's always laughing and stuff. Klopp's head comes off a lot. You only have to look at when they lose and look at his his uh, press conferences after it. He doesn't he doesn't take to things very well if he doesn't agree with them. You all you always see like. I think Jay said it best. There's a lot of reverence for him and bow down to Klopp. Look at look at this massive underdog story of Liverpool Football Club winning the league. Look what he's done to this small club, Liverpool. <laughs> the new Leicester. It's nonsense. He's yeah, <laughs> absolute rubbish. And you you look at Klopp, and honestly, he's he's not one you'd want to scrap with Klopp because he's got that nastiness in him. So it's this yeah. all show me respect. Come on, behave. That, that's the worst bit to come out of this. If you're going to have a bit of a scrap, crack on. But don't come out and then go, oh, you need to show me respect. And, oh, you're not showing me respect. You don't, just because you've won the title, you don't then guarantee respect. Like Jay said, managers went after Ferguson every single year. Because yeah. if, if you've won the league, you need, and that's the other thing. Klopp's now got away. He's won the league now. Everyone's going to go after him. Everyone now wants to beat Liverpool even more because of the champions. They've not had that. And he's, Klopp's going to have to get used to it. Well, that's going, to be a, that's going to be a different set of pressure that they're under next season. United are the greatest Premier League example of that, of how 
there was no taking the foot off the gas when they won the title because they knew that there was 19 other teams in the league that their trip to Old Trafford was the biggest game of their season they'd step it up that extra 5 or 10% these little things that we're seeing with Klopp and yes he has done a brilliant job but I do agree with this idea that we all need to be mindful that we can't be bound down to Klopp or we can't be painting Lampard as this Saint Frank figure that he does seem to be painted as sometimes but when we look ahead to next season and the different type of pressure that Liverpool, the the club, the players and Klopp are all going to be under, Jay, do you think they've got what it takes to deal with that sort of pressure? Because yes, they've been excellent this season, but prior to this, James Milner's the only player in that squad to have won a Premier League title. Do you think they've got the building blocks in place to, to keep going? Or do you think do you think Klopp's going to have to do a bit of a Ferguson this summer and be kind of cutthroat and say, you were excellent for us, but we need to keep moving forward and, and bring in players? Yeah, I think they might have to do that. I mean, they, they've, they've almost had... And it's, it's weird because Liverpool have almost had what you'd consider two title-winning seasons in the amount of points they've got. No one gets the amount of points they got the previous season and doesn't win the title. It's just he came up against the phenomenal Man City team. So they've almost they've had to go again, and they've done it. They've done it this season. Nice, you know. I think they can finish on ninety nine points, which is you know ridiculous. But then they've got to go again for a third season and get try and go for those sort sort of points tallies because Manchester City, who you know, could end up on what eighty one points. I think it is. They ain't gonna do that again next season. They're not. They're gonna spend. They're gonna you know Pep's. Got, as, as Keezy mentioned about Pep before, he was having a bit of a meltdown. I think Pep's quite angry with the way everything's gone and the fact that he doesn't feel he's getting the respect he deserves for what he's achieved. And I expect City to really go for it next season, spend money and get those sort of points tally. It pains me to say as a United fan that they've had in previous seasons. So Klopp's going to have to do something. And I think they will spend... I think a big thing as well will be the fact that they can keep hold of a lot of the best players. I don't see anyone going anywhere from Liverpool. I think because of the fact you've got this sort of smaller break, the fact that you've got the, the coronavirus has, has sort of wreaked havoc everywhere in terms of what teams can spend. I think there might have been a case that maybe someone like Mo Salah might have moved on. I know Liverpool fans won't want to hear that, but I think there's always been that feeling that maybe one day he'll go to Madrid or whatever. I don't see that happening now, so I think they will keep hold of him. And I think the likes of Mane and, and Van Dijk are perfectly happy and Trent and all the rest of it. So I do think, yeah, you've got to rebuild. You, you, the thing where, you, where you, you retain the title, the way United retain the title, and the way that City retain the title, and the way that other clubs, well, I think that we're the only two that have done. Chelsea did it, sorry, under Mourinho, is you, 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 you strengthen when you're in a position of strength. <clears throat> You don't wait until you're chasing and then start buying players to try and catch up. When you're at the top, you add new players, you bring in fresh players, you bring in top quality. You know, Fergie was the master of doing that. We, you know, we, I don't want to make it all about United, but that's my that's my reference point. You know, when we won the title in 2007, we went out that summer and bought Hargreaves, Seves, Nani, and um, Anderson, and then won the Champions League and the title the following season. You have to do that. And especially when they look at the likes of City will strengthen, Chelsea are already starting to strengthen. I expect United to strengthen. Um, and, and Arsenal as well have got a massive rebuilding plot, although they're probably well out of it anyway so yeah Klopp's going to he's going to have to add a, a, one or two players but the positive thing for him is he's going to keep hold of the players he needs to keep hold of and they are relatively young as a, as, a, as a squad other than James Milner the average age is always sort of mid-20s or late mid to late 20s so I think you know it's not going to be too difficult for him to do that I was going to say Jay spot on there about how, one thing that City have done a lot in the past and it's always come back to haunt us, is win the title, not strengthen enough, and then it falls apart the next season. We did it in 20, 2015 was the most famous one, and 2013, I think United won the title both years, or it was United and Leicester. Yeah, we, and Leicester we won the yeah. league, and then we won the league and then just didn't, didn't rebuild, brought in substandard players. We won the league last year, we retained it, 
And then we were going for it again against the Liverpool side who in any other Premier League season would have won the league and didn't. We just held them off. We brought in Rodri, who is going to be a fantastic footballer, but he didn't really strengthen. We brought in Cancelo and got rid of Danilo and that was it. We didn't strengthen where we needed to. We lost company and didn't replace him and it came back to bite us. And Liverpool, for as good as they've been, like Jay said, City are going to strengthen, Chelsea are going to strengthen, United are going to strengthen. There's going to be teams next season. I I kind of disagree with Jay. I don't think anyone's going to get near that points total next year. I think it could be one of those seasons where a lot of teams beat each other. Um, and I just, I think if I'm Liverpool, yeah, that squad is, is an excellent, it's an excellent team. But they've been quite lucky with injuries this season. And I, I don't say that bitterly. It's It's true. Van Dijk hasn't been yeah. out for a long period. Mane hasn't. Salah hasn't. Firmino has, but obviously he's not scored the goals that he usually does. Henderson had a little bit of a spell out, but not a lot. Alexander-Arnold and Robertson have been fit all season. They, if next season, if Van Dijk gets injured, Mane gets injured, it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game for them. And I wonder if their squad can handle that. So we'll, we'll have to see next year, but I think it could season and Liverpool have to bring in the likes of Thiago and probably another centre-back and I wonder if they'll go for a striker I still can't get my head around them not paying for Werner but we'll see if that comes back to bite them next year Okay, uh, Adam you've done just me one a... thing sorry just, kind of, sort of just, just correct myself it was 2015 wasn't um, last week it was Chelsea okay Chelsea yeah <laughs> Uh, Adam, you, Sorry, you've... I just know because I get annoyed. People be like, "It wasn't last week, it was Chelsea." So yeah, it was there. But I get where you're coming from, Keza. Uh King of the facts, Jay. There, uh, Adam, you did me a big favour. I was just editing that little bit that lifelong Liverpool fan Jay said about how this season's basically <laughs> been like, basically been like two title-winning teams. So I'm going to try and extract that and save that in my own uh, scrapbook, or maybe even get it online for uh, for Jay to have a listen back, so he can remember <laughs> that over the summer. Uh, please, Jay, please do. If you can just hold your horses for a second, I know you really want to talk about Liverpool Football Club, but I'm going to go to Adam first. If you just, you know, I know you're excited to talk about the Football Writers Player of the Year, Jordan Henderson. Uh, if you've not, if you've been living under a rock for the last 24 hours, you'll have missed the news that Jordan Henderson has been voted the Football Writers Association Player of the Year by a fairly healthy margin. This has exploded uh, all over Twitter. Uh, in the last 24 hours the guys touched on it in the podcast yesterday but I couldn't really complete today's show without asking you guys your thoughts on it Adam he's won it he's never going to make everybody happy but you're firmly in the camp that he didn't deserve it I'm going to have to go now sorry (laughs) first of all it's a pointless award I don't say that bitterly it just is Um, we talked about this off air and I'll talk about it again You've got to remember, Scott Parker won this in 2011 um, ahead of Bale, Vidic, Tevez, who all had unbelievable seasons that year. He won it because he was a he was a strong personality on the pitch because I can't think of any other reason why he won it. Um, and it's it's basically it's a we know what the media are like with Liverpool, and I get it. It's very romantic for them and whatever. They've won it for the first time in ages. The issue I have as a City fan is not that De Bruyne should have won it because we know he's a better footballer. That's not even the issue. There's probably six, seven players in that Liverpool team who have had better seasons than Henderson. And I get that Henderson's done good things off the pitch. So's Rashford. He didn't win it. I get that Henderson is the captain of that team. But that doesn't mean you win Football Writers' award because you're captain of a Premier League winning team 
I don't I don't think that's how it works. Van Dyke, Mane, Salah, Trent, Robertson, Allison have all had better seasons for Liverpool. And giving it to him is almost I don't want to say it's a sympathy award because he's a Premier League winning captain, but it feels very like oh he's he shouts loud. Let's give it him. Oh he's he's one of ours. Nice. Nah, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. The PFA award is a little bit better because you get the players have voted for it. And if they vote for Henderson, we may as well pack up and go home. Um, yeah, I'm still not over the Scott Parker one. Sorry. I, I can never ever <laughs> over that. I, I fully believe that that he's going to get the PFA player. I think he's going to do the double and you might have to leave the country, Adam. Jay, obviously there's, um, yeah. there's always going to be criticism about this, but... You can see some sort of case for why he got it, but the reasons for why he's got it, you're then lining him up against the likes of Keane, Vieira, Terry, because the reasons why they won it are always wheeled out as leadership, influence on the pitch, influence off the pitch. And I think that's what's irked a lot of fans because if they're not, if, if this kind of admitting that Henderson isn't the best player and then we're saying that he's influential, he's not really in the league of those players, is he? No, and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed Keezy's not even mentioned it, but he probably forgot it, to be honest with you. I don't blame him. I think if you go back to the year Suarez won it, 2013 to 14, do you know who came second in it that year? Steven Gerrard, right? And if you look at that year, and, I, and this is a United fan, Yaya Torre was absolutely phenomenal that year. I think he scored 20 goals from midfield and basically just won, won City the title almost. Yeah. And for, for me, for the for, fo- for football journalists, to see that season and decide that Steven Gerrard had a better season than Yaya Torre was an absolute disgrace. It was, even as a United fan, with no no dog in the fire. I just thought, that's pathetic. And it just, for me, that award is just a nonsense. I mean, you, men- you know, you mentioned the Scott Parker as an example. I always go back to 99. Manchester United literally did what's never been done before or since in winning the treble. We had Dwight York, I think, finished on something like 29 goals or something. We were just... David Beckham finished second in the Ballon d'Or and who wins who wins the Football Writers Player of the Year award? David Ginola for taking Tottenham to the dizzy heights of 11th it's an absolute <laughs> nonsense it is it's like it's just there's no there's no logic to it it's just nonsense so I, I know what sound a bit of in, go on sorry Keys, go on let's go back to Scott Parker because honestly right, okay, I'm fair never enough. getting over this I'm never getting over <laughs> this Everyone remembers that season as Gareth Bale's breakthrough season. He was unbelievable. He won it a couple of years later before he went off to Madrid. Scott Parker that season, right? Scott Parker won it for reasons I don't think he knows. For being a leader, for being Captain Scott, for being Scotty Parker. West Ham finished 20th. 20th, bottom, the relegated bottom. Scott Parker won it that season... Vidic took United to the title. Yeah. Nope. Scott Parker won it. So ever since, it really doesn't matter. Sterling won it last year. Sterling's the only City player who's won it. City have won more titles than anyone this decade. Sterling was the first to win it. And again, leadership, company's never been near it. And company won four titles as captain. Nowhere near it. I mean, that that, that is probably been. It's mad. Aguero's That's that's a joke. Yeah, Aguero's never won it. It's a popularity contest amongst journalists. And I don't buy into there's an agenda against City. I don't buy into that. But there's definitely a a pro-Liverpool romance within the press. And there always has been. So I'm not surprised that he's won it. It must be mad if you're De Bruyne a start at home with 31 goal 
contributions this season. He'll, he might break the assist record. He's got double figures for goals as well. He's sat at home going, yeah, fair enough. Henderson has scored four goals from midfield. He's won the title. Like, what? what's he thinking? Seriously. And like, I mean, like someone said, I don't even know if we were recording then, but somebody said before, you've got Messi looking at the Premier League going, Jordan Henderson is the best player in that league. Shaking what? in his boots. Like you what? think though, I know we go like oh, the PFA players probably are more more accurate, but you'd you'd actually think that the writers would be more accurate because the mentors supposedly be unbiased. They look at all, they watch all the matches, not just the ones that they're playing in as a player. Do you know what I mean? You'd expect it to be a little bit slightly more forensic than just players picking, you know, the mates or players that had a good game when they played against them. So you you would expect it, but it's not. It's just like almost a, a jobs the... for the boys attitude. I take it back about the PFA award. Again, no Manchester City player has ever won it. Ever. I Last mean, year, Van Dijk won it for finishing second. The year before, Salah won it for finishing third. Um, <laughs> Mares, Mares and Kante and Hazard. Again, the season where City won the league, 2014, Suarez. Um, Bale won it for Tottenham. I think they finished top four that year. Uh, Van Persie in 2012 won it over Aguero for Arsenal finishing what were they fifth it's so yeah I take it all back the awards are a joke uh, this is a team sport let's stop handing out stupid awards for individuals keep the Ballon d'Or because that means you're the best player in the world but I don't think anybody cares when they look at it and see oh yeah Jordan Henderson is the best player in the Premier League nah no, I'd agree. Um, I, I'm absolutely amazed by Adam's Wikipedia research there. If anybody wants to hire him as a Wikipedia researcher, follow him on Twitter. He's, he's brilliant at it. He's got he's got all the information available at his fingertips. Uh, that wasn't Wikipedia. That was from memory. <laughs> uh, he's, like, he's like Rain Man. He's keys, eh? He Rain just Man knows for, these things. Individual awards. No. If Rain Man was a Man City <laughs> yeah. fan, he'd be you. If, if he could memorise Man City data, that, that, that'd be an interesting film. That might be Rain Man 2, Return of the Man City. Change my, my Twitter handle to Rain Man City now. I'm gonna... <laughs> it works. I, See, yeah. there you go. I think you get yeah, some interesting followers. So. Right, guys, yeah. we're going to call it a day there because otherwise we're just going to be debating who likes Wikipedia the most and who uses it the most. When in reality, we all use it all the time. I think the big question is not who should have won the Football Writers Player of the Year. I think it's what does Messi think about Scott Parker? And I think he's probably got a few posters of him on his wall. Fellas, we're going to call it there for today. Adam, Jay, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us, mate. And that is the final Football Social Daily Premier League podcast of the season. Tomorrow, we're going to leave you to it to enjoy the final day of action. There's going to be some big decisions made on who's going to be in the Champions League and who's going to be in the Championship next season. It's going to be a brilliant day. Enjoy it. And we'll see you very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.